Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. It is Monday, November the 14th, 2022. I had a great night last night. I was hanging out with uh, your buddy Raymond Arroyo, Jeanette Williams and uh, Jack Williams from EWTN. Jeanette uh, founded uh, Women of Grace 20 years ago. She can be heard across the GRN, 10 a.m. I think it's uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time on the Station of the Cross. But uh, great time had by all last night. Friday, I got to MC a Veterans Day event in Casterville. That was a lot of fun. That actually went very well, praise be to God. Great turnout. It was a wonderful opportunity to honor our veterans who serve our country. And there were so many guys there that had served, I mean, 60-plus years ago. So uh, what a wonderful opportunity. I'm very grateful to uh, my friend Jerome Iltis for letting me come out and be a part of that. Coming up on today's show, uh, here's a question. What's missing in our politics? We talked about this on Friday, I think it was. But our culture is the answer. George Newmeyer from the American Spectator is going to join us at 35 past. He already discussed that. Uh, then there's a Swiss bishop who says, I no longer expect anything good to come from the upcoming synod. He says, boundless hypocrisy, confusion, and instrumentaliz- instrumentalization of God, we're going to talk about that. Plus an open, plus an open letter to the bishops uh, by Regis Martin coming up at fifteen past the hour. Tito Edwards from BigPulpit.com is going to be on the top of the next hour to talk about a first things article from Cardinal Pell on the unexpected consequences of Vatican II. So stick around for that. Lots of stories in the news, of course. A highly respected French cardinal has been accused of sexually mis- sexual misconduct with a 14-year-old girl 35 years ago. The French Catholics are just getting truly fed up with all of these reports that keep coming and coming. Horrific plane crash over uh, the wings over Dallas over the weekend. That video is just heart-wrenching to watch. God rest their souls. There was a bombing in Turkey yesterday. The YPG militants of Syria are being blamed for that. There was arrests made. Decision Desk HQ has said uh, they are calling the Senate for the Democrats. Looks like the Republicans aren't going to be taking the Senate. They still could take the House. We don't know, but uh, there is that. Anyway, good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. And despite all of that, it's good to be here. Oh, yeah? It is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. No? Mm -hmm. No? Joe, you got... uh, Seven hours of sleep? No, you wait, got three. I deer, it was three hours sleep, right? Three, three dough. I did. Wow, yeah. three meat in the three doughs in the freezer. What do you call? Uh, what do you call doughs? Plural. Uh, do I? <laughs> do I? Uh, it's definitely not doughs. Dose can't be doughs. No, nope, because you got it's three. Trace. It's trace. <laughs> we call them trace. Praise be to God. <laughs> yeah, meat in the freezer. Praise be to Jesus. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe's gonna just bring in all the dough meat, and we're all gonna split it. And... Is that what? Yeah. We're... Huh. Let me. I'm just looking for my. Uh, hold on. No, can't find the memo that says I'm doing that. <laughs> Sorry, I looked, but uh, yeah, not gonna happen. That was Although, the terms and conditions. Joe. We did actually uh, fry up a little piece. Like good, Oof. tender, mm. 
tenderest meat on planet Earth. Is it gamey? No. No. No, you got to know what you're doing. Nice and clean, huh? Yeah, so good. Grass-fed, baby. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of grass-fed, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Um, actually, I avoid eating grass as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I try to eat exclusively meat as much as possible. And, and chocolate. And, and chocolate. <laughs> must be uh, nice. The two of those things, uh, typically. Must but no, nice. uh, praise be to God, it's good to be here. But you know, over the weekend, crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. Okay. We had uh, these these people, you may remember them, the, the black Hebrew Israelites who were uh, over in... in uh, harassing the Covington Catholic student, Nick Sandman. Mm-hmm. Now, you might remember that whole story. Oh, yeah. But uh, these people had uh, our lady, image of our lady, written, had blasphemies on her and had her hung up in a noose, and they were screaming vulgarities, uh, blasphemies against our lady. It was horrible. So me and a friend of mine tried to confront them, and, you know, you got to pray that God's justice be done at... Uh, that his will be exercised on these people. So nobody gets craziness. out alive. Everybody has to give an account for their life. And could you imagine Amen. having to give an account for that time when you uh, called the mother of God a whore? You had to make reparation. <sighs> yeah. Bad yeah. times. So let's pray for their souls. Uh, we have much to pray for, of course, praying for your intentions, dear listener, and we hope you'll pray for ours as well. But we have much to get into today. By the way, there's the men's march in Baltimore today out in front of the bishops' meeting as well. So pr- let's pray for them. There's going to be some live coverage on the Station of the Cross, so tune in for that. But let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Monday, November 14th, and here are your headlines this morning. The Epic Times reports, Democrats keep control of key of Senate after emerging victorious in key races. Democrats are projected to maintain control of the Senate, although Republicans are still projected to gain control of the House. Democrats kept the Senate after winning battles in Arizona, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Democrats will have at least 50 seats in the 100-seat chamber. Vice President Kamala Harris is uh, is uh, projected to be the uh, the to have the ability rather to cast the tie-breaking vote. The Georgia Senate runoff has been scheduled for December. And the Washington Examiner reports Biden Border Chief Chris Magnus resigns after refusing to leave. Chris Magnus, the Biden administration's top border official, has resigned after refusing the Department of Homeland Security Secretary's order to step down amid the worst border crisis in American history. He was told by DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to resign or risk being fired by President Biden after Mayorkas lost confidence in his ability to perform the job. Ground News reports six killed after vintage aircraft collide at Dallas Air Show. A B-17 flying fortress and a P-63 King Cobra fighter plane collided during the wings over Dallas Air Show. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson said the National Transportation Safety Board had taken control of the crash site. No paying customers were on the aircraft, which are flown by highly trained volunteers. Ground News also reports applications for student loan forgiveness no longer accepted. The Biden administration is no longer accepting applications for student loan forgiveness. A second federal court shut down the program. 
President Joe Biden announced in August plans to forgive up to $20,000 in federal student loan debt for individuals with incomes below $125,000. The White House has estimated that more than 40 million people could qualify. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is a saint that I had actually never heard of. And you have to look this saint up and read more about his life because I'm only going to give you a little bit today. Blessed John Lichi was born in 1400 at Cacamo, Diocese of Palermo in Sicily. John was born to a poor family. His mother died at his birth and his father, too poor to hire a nurse for the baby, fed him on crushed pomegranates and other odds and ends. He was obliged to leave the baby alone when he went out to work in the fields. And a neighbor woman who heard the child crying took the baby over to her house and fed him properly. She laid the baby in bed beside her sick husband who had been paralyzed for a long time. Her husband rose up, cured, and the woman began to proclaim the saintly quality of the baby she had taken in. When John's father came home, however, he was not only unimpressed by her pious remarks, he was downright furious that she had interfered in his household. He took the baby home again and fed it more pomegranates. Even as a tiny baby, John gave every evidence that he was an unusual person. At an age when most children are just beginning to read, he was already reciting the daily office of the Blessed Virgin and the office of the dead in the penitential psalms. He was frequently in ecstasy and what might be called an easy weeper. Any strong emotion caused him to dissolve into floods of tears. At the age of 15, John went to Palermo on a business trip for his father. And he happened to go to confession to blessed Peter Jermia at the church of Santa Zita. The friar suggested that he become a religious, and John believed himself quite unworthy, but the priest managed to convince him to give it a try. The habit of St. Dominic, which he put on for the first time in 1415, he was to wear with distinction for 96 years. At the three, as the three friars walked along the road, a group of young men began ridiculing them and finally attacked them with daggers. One boy attempted to stab John, but his hand withered and refused to move. After the friars had gone on, the boys huddled together and decided that they had better ask for pardon. They ran to the Dominicans and begged their forgiveness. John made the sign of the cross and the withered hand was made whole. John moved his base of operations to the woods where the angel had furnished him with the foundations. One day, in the course of the construction, the workmen ran out of materials. They pointed this out to John, who told them to come back tomorrow anyway. The next day, at dawn, a large wagon drawn by two oxen appeared with a load of stone, lime, and sand. The driver politely inquired where the fathers would like the material put. He capably unloaded the wagon and disappeared, leaving John with a fine team of oxen and giving us a fascinating story of an angel truck driver. He died in 1511 of natural causes at 111 years of age. He was beatified in April 25th, 1753, about 200 years later, by Pope Benedict XIV. Blessed John Leachy, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He shouted, Jesus, 
Son of David, have pity on me. The people walking in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Then Jesus stopped and ordered that he be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Lord, please let me see. Jesus told him, Have sight, your faith has saved you. He immediately received his sight and followed him, giving glory to God. When they saw this, all the people gave praise to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Gregory the Great would say, Blindness is a symbol of the human race, which in our first parent, knowing not the brightness of heavenly light, now suffers the darkness of his condemnation. Jericho is interpreted the moon, whose monthly warnings represent the feebleness of our mortality. While then our Creator is drawing nigh to Jericho, the blind is restored to sight, because when God took upon him the weakness of our flesh, the human race received back the light which it had lost. He then, who is ignorant of this brightness of the everlasting light, is blind. But... If he does no more than believe in the Redeemer who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 13, 16, or 13, 6, he sits by the wayside. If he both believes and prays that he may receive the everlasting light, he sits by the wayside and begs. Those that went before Jesus, he was coming, represent the multitude of carnal desires and the busy crowd of vices which before that Jesus comes to our heart, scatter our thoughts, and disturb us even in our prayers. But the blind man cried out the more, for the more violently we are assailed by our restless thoughts, the more fervently ought we to give ourselves to prayer. As long as we still suffer our manifold fancies to trouble us in our prayers, we feel in some measure Jesus passing by. But we are very steadfast in prayer. God is fixed in our hearts, and the lost light is restored. Or to pass by is of man, to stand is of God. The Lord then passing by heard the blind man crying, standing still restored him to sight. For by his humanity, in compassion to our blindness, he has pity upon our cries. With the power of his divinity, he pours upon us the light of his grace. Close quote. St. Gregory the Great, pray for us. When times are hard, do you clutch the more our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you see him or do you see the waves? Let's think about that. We'll be right back. What's Concerning Us is coming up next. happy without God? Atheists say yes, we Christians say yes, but only to a certain extent. What's our reason? There are some natural human desires that can be satisfied without living for God. The desire for sensory pleasure, success, and loving relationships. There are certain desires, however, that can't be satisfied without God. For example, we don't just desire some love, we desire infinite love, love without limit. This is manifest when we get frustrated with imperfect manifestations of it. The same is true for knowledge, justice, and beauty. Since God alone is infinite in these perfections, only He can satisfy our desires for them. 
Therefore, to borrow from St. Augustine, without God, our hearts would be forever restless. And my friends, a restless heart is an unhappy heart. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For 2,000 years, we've helped the poor and comforted the sick. We've educated generations of children, developed the scientific method and college system. We support marriage and human life. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the fullness of Christian faith in the church started by Jesus. If you've been away, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome home. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Well, I was just rethinking about last night, hanging out with uh, the Fullness of Truth crowd. Great, uh, a great evangelization apostolate, by the way. Fullness of Truth Catholic Evangelization Ministries. Raymond Arorio gave such a great talk last night. He is so good at giving those talks. I've seen, I've seen a billion Catholic talks before. Raymond's got to be, he's up there when, when it comes to giving a talk, keeping people engaged, informed, inspired. Very good. Hats off to you, Raymond. Um, but nonetheless, coming up at 35 past the hour, uh, George Newmeyer from The American Spectator is going to be our guest. We're going to be talking about the culture, the lack thereof, and politics, and why the, uh, the left and the right seem to uh, sell us down the river on this issue and how to win it back. All that coming up with uh, George Newmeyer. But there are lots of stories in the news that are of great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. And here's an article out of the National Catholic Register. It says, Swiss bishop says, I no longer expect anything good from the upcoming synod. He's not the only one. He's not even the first one to make this, uh, this point. But I bring it up because these are the times we live in. And I was talking to a listener last night, and we were talking about the FBI scandal. You might remember that. You know, we live in interesting times. We should be able to trust things like the FBI, the authorities, the elected officials. But frankly, most Americans now aren't trusting these institutions or these people because of the times that we live in. Similarly, when it comes to the hierarchy, uh, we're seeing Catholics feeling the same way. French Catholics are livid right now because more and more sexual scandals are coming out in the news over there. And they're, they've had enough. They're fed up. And now we're seeing bishops that are having uh, to speak up, especially in light of what they're seeing. He says, a boundless hypocrisy, confusion, uh, instrumentalization of God. Bishop Marian Eleganti, former auxiliary bishop of Chur in Switzerland, can scarcely find words harsh enough to express his unequivocal disapproval of the content of discussions surrounding the 2023 Synod on Synodality. In a recent opinion column published by the Austrian online Catholic magazine Kath.net, Bishop Eleganti gave a long critique of the upcoming synod that has recently concluded its diocesan phase to enter the continental phase, which is due to run until March of 2023. It goes on to say, uh, Indeed, Bishop Eleganti's outspokenness and orthodox stances have often led to him being shunned by his peers. The Benedictine missionary, who was abbot of the Abbey of St. 
Altmarsberg uh, from 1999 to 2009 also contributed to the launching of the first World Meeting of Families in German-speaking Switzerland in 2019. It says, quote, The church was not on the wrong track for 2,000 years, and indeed to be enlightened by, and corrected by a synodal process in the 21st century, Bishop Eleganti wrote in his column. Uh, regretting that instead of addressing synodality as a new modus operandi in the church, the discussion instead concentrates on, quote, all the same refrains reheated for the umpteenth time since the 1970s. Democracy, participation, involvement in power, women in all offices, diaconate or priesthood for women, revision of sexual morality regarding extramarital sex, remarriage and homosexuality, abandoning priest-centeredness in liturgy, etc. Goes on to say, quote, the proposals that have been repeatedly put forward and poured over and over again into new bottles on which the labels Listening and inclusivity, welcoming, diversity, and equality are now stuck in a kind of marketing campaign that sells yesterday's news as the latest news, he said. They are all nice-sounding, emotionally positive terms, but they are empty phrases in relation to the truth. It is precisely the kind of relationship to God that is conveyed by these concepts that the Swiss bishop challenged. That of an all-inclusive love which approves and blesses everything that people do because all are children of God and God and a God that then stops to be the truth and justice that exclude error and sin. Recalling that teaching of the church, including those regarding married life and sexuality, are unchangeable because they are true. He stated that changes could be expected only in the in the communication of the faith not in its doctrine. I think that's worth repeating. He said that changes could be expected only in the communication of the faith, not in its doctrine. Doctrine does not change. Our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Article goes on to say, historically, innovations in the faith were always heresies that led to new divisions, he said. We have forgotten that the church is a teaching church, a mater et magistera, mother and teacher of truth, morality and faith, not a sleepwalker to be taken by the hand uh, by the spirit of the age. For him to constantly talk about the Holy Spirit and to claim him for oneself is nothing but propaganda, self-deception, and basically an instrumentalization of God. Another central aspect of his criticism is the unfavorable context for proper discernment through the Holy Spirit, who is supposed to be involved in a synodal process. This synodal process has nothing to do with the Spirit-filled process of reform, he continued. It is nothing more than the inner church politicization of these topics in contrast to the discernment of the Spirit, which is not even being undertaken in this regard or has been already undertaken and concluded, like in the case of women's priesthood. Discerning, however, only appears to happen because uh, the agendas have been set from the beginning and are now to be advanced universally, he claimed. And this has been a critique of the synodal process from the beginning. The foregone conclusions were already drawn up before the listening sessions were, were scheduled. So they're going to do what they're going to do is basically what he's saying here. 
Denouncing a boundless hypocrisy, he concluded by saying he does not he does not expect anything good from the upcoming synod. Quote, I just don't trust it anymore. The confusion that the synod have already instigated since 2014 is unmistakable and makes me pessimistic about the discernment of the spirit at these events. Close quote. That is the article out of the register of the National Catholic Register. And you can find it with the headline, Swiss Bishop, I No Longer Expect Anything Good from the Upcoming Synod. Which leads me to Regis Martin's open letter to the bishops. The bishops are meeting in uh, Baltimore this week. There's the men's march up there. I participated in that last year. I was very happy to do it. It starts at an abortion mill. That's where I gave my testimony on abortion. And then you march out to where the bishops are, and then there's a rally there. It's great. Bishops even participate in it. It's very good. But this is an open letter from Regis Martin. I think it's worth a read. It says, Your Excellencies, it seems almost like yesterday that among all the bishops scattered about the globe, it was everywhere understood that care of the souls was the principal function of your office, that God had given you no greater, no more essential task than getting souls to heaven. What must I do to assist the souls entrusted to me, souls for whom God himself suffered and died to prepare them for a life of unending glory? That was the question every honest bishop needed to ask himself. Alas, like the snows of yesteryear, that will not return. It seems no longer to be the case. Other and very difficult marching orders appear to have been issued. Nowadays, the church sees herself primarily as a service organization, the ecclesiastical wing of some of the most progressive elements in the country. The Democratic Party, for instance, whose woke fixations might almost be informing her job description. No longer is it the business of the church, her most sacred and necessary work, to lead the people of God through the whole, uh, lead the people of God through the world to God himself. It is as if the letter to the Hebrews had never been written, which is why in reading the sentence, quote, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come, close quote, Hebrews 13, 14. We more or less shut our eyes to the fact. It is no longer the city of God we are urged to seek, but the city of man, where there is no salvation, but only the flesh spots the flesh pots which lead to death. Why then should we see the church as anything special or unique? Maybe Jesus got it wrong when he told his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden in Matthew 5.14. It's as if the pilot light has gone out and no one can find the city on the hill anymore. When the church is no longer perceived as an institution fashioned by God himself in order to extend across the vast expanse of space and time the incarnation of his son, the prolongation no less of his person and work in the world, why should anyone care what happens to the church at all? Why bother to join, much less remain? How far, I wonder, has this particular apostasy spread among you? Are there many of you all out there who, having pretty much ceased to believe in the divine design of the church, are no longer disposed to advance her incarnational mission? Are you so wedded to the world that you dare not bring yourselves to judge it, lest you appear harsh and rigorous in the eyes of others? 
When the physician assumes the illness of his patient, it may strike a note of empathy between them, but it hardly helps the patient get well. What advantage can there be to the sinner when his bishop won't tell him to stop sinning? If one wishes to get well, isn't a proper diagnosis in order concerning the extent of the illness? Our only health is the disease, writes T.S. Eliot in his Four Quartets. If we obey the dying nurse whose constant care is not to please, but to remind of our and Adam's curse, and that to be restored our sickness must grow worse. The whole earth is our hospital, endowed by the ruined millionaire, wherein, if we do well, we shall die of the absolute paternal care. That will not leave us, but prevents us everywhere. If many of our bishops have it, as it were, gone bonkers, doesn't that amount to an admission of despair that somehow God has abandoned his bride and that the gates of hell have finally prevailed? Certainly among the one who catch all the headlines, who, ca who cause the confusion and grief which the rest of us are forced to endure, there have been defections, not openly, of course, not all at once, but in subtle and de facto ways over time. Some of you have left the deposit unattended, which you surely must know this, rather leaves the rest of us with appalling prospect of a God who decided simply to drop the ball before the end of the game. Unless, of course, the game is already over, and, well, we just didn't get the memo yet. From such councils of despair, of course, people of faith must simply flee, and they must cling, even if only by a fingernail, to Christ's assurance that he will not leave us, open, orphaned, or alone. So why have so many of you seemingly given up? How does one account for such craven refusals to, pers to uh, perverse and to defend, or persevere rather, and to defend church teaching? Which the whole point of your Episcopal ordination obliges There's just a little bit left. You can read the rest of it. But here's the bottom line. There's still hope. No matter what happens at the Vatican or the Chancery Office downtown, you and I must live in a state of grace. We must preach always the gospel and even use words. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that the world associates fanaticism with religion? But G.K. Chesterton says that the strangest fanaticism that fills our time is the fanatical hatred of morality, especially of Christian morality. It is the irreligious who are fanatical in their hatred of religion. They hate religion because religion is the only basis for morality. They hate morality because it is clear. And they prefer things to be vague, vague to the point where they can call wrongs rights. But we cannot call something a right when it defies God's laws. We can only call it a sin because all rights come from God and God is not going to break his own laws. Neither should we. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. 
It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls. And we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, still, and destroy souls. And to have that Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now more headlines. The Washington Times reports LGBTQ friendly votes signal progressive shift for Methodists. The United Methodist Church is moving toward becoming more progressive and LGBTQ affirming during a U.S. regional meeting this month that included the election of its second openly gay bishop. Conservatives say the developments will only accelerate their exit from one of the nation's largest Protestant denominations. For years, bishops have told traditionalists that there is no room for anyone in the United Methodist Church. Uh, Rather, he said that there's room for everyone in the United Methodist Church, he said. Not one single traditionalist bishop was elected. Moreover, we now have the most progressive or liberal council of bishops in the history of Methodism, period, he said. The president of the conservative Wesleyan Covenant Association said. DW reports, Iran protests, court sentences rioter to death. Sunday's sentence was handed down for the crime of setting fire to a government building disturbing public order, assembly and conspiracy to commit a crime against national security, and an enemy of God and corruption on earth. The website added that another Tehran court sentenced five people to prison terms, ranging from five to ten years for gathering and conspiring to commit crimes against national security and disrupting public order. The Epic Times reports unmanned solar-powered U.S. space plane back after 908 days. An unmanned U.S. military plane landed early on Saturday after spending a record 908 days in orbit for its sixth mission and conducting science experiments. For the first time, the space plane hosted a service module that carried experiments for the Naval Research Laboratory, U.S. Air Force Academy, and others. The module separated from the vehicle before deorbiting to ensure a safe landing. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Uh, last week, you might remember, it was like a Friday, I guess, I guess it was on Friday. I shared with you a couple of articles out of the American Spectator from George Neumeyer. Uh, very good. America's Death Wish and, uh, and a couple of others. And you ought to check them out. It's so important, I think, to get, your, uh, to get a perspective on this. And I think George brings it to the table in his articles. And uh, he joins us now by phone. Good morning to you, Mr. Neumeyer. Good morning. Grateful for your time today. When I was reading your articles uh, last week, especially America's Death Wish, I had this uh, this uh, sort of a parallel analogy in my mind. You know, you remember back in the day when country music was country music? Today it's no longer country music. Today it's hip-hop. It's pop music. It's changed. And I see the same thing going on within con- the conservative movements, the so-called conservative movement. And we were uh, all told there's going to be a giant red wave in the midterms. Uh, well, the midterms didn't turn out to be an election night. It turned out to be an election season. Uh, and uh, now we are we are still waiting, but there's really no red wave at all. Um, what, give us your take on all of this. Well, as I explained in that article, I, I think that this election uh, brings with it some very bad news for us, which is that, you know, America is basically a liberal country. You know, it's a country of um, brainwashed liberals to a great extent, unfortunately, due to 
the culture, you know, a culture that the left has dominated for decades and that the, and that the left has um, uh, used to propagandize the American people. And they've done so very effectively to the point where now a majority of the American people are willing to accept the outrageously insane agenda of the Democrats. And so that's really the unfortunate message of the election is that America is not a conservative country. It is a lib- it's, it's a liberal country. And, and yeah. that's reflected in the fact that a Democratic Party, which is totally failing, which is damaging the country tremendously, is still basically holding on to power. And I think that's one of the wake up calls that I think a lot of people uh, we uh, there's a lot of people who will talk about, well, election uh, shenanigans, election uh, voter fraud or all of this stuff. And I think but the reality is we have to realize our neighbors want this stuff. They, they seemingly want this woke agenda, this this world that's well, is just so look at the fact look at the fact that all these horrible incumbents won re-election you know so this was really a um a, an election in which incumbents uh prevailed and the very incumbents who are destroying our country and so what does that tell us it tells us that the american people are willing to accept the tyranny that these liberals and democrats are foisting upon them mm. and why would they do that they would do that they, they you can only do that if you've been propagandized if you've kind of lost your soul and lost your mind. Mm. And that, unfortunately, is really the fundamental explanation for why the GOP did so poorly and why the Democrats are are doing pretty well. And you point out in your article here, says the relative success of Democrats on Tuesday is a measure not of the public's rationality, rationality, but of its submission to wokeness. Those in the 18 to 29 demographic voted for the Democrats overwhelmingly a tribute not to their wisdom but their lack of it and the 18 to 29 year olds came out in in uh in good quantity and as you point out all voted for this woke agenda uh the gop or the conservative movement hasn't seemed to figure any of that out right and and all this is due to the fact that the left has dominated higher education for decades and and these schools all these colleges and universities are producing graduates who are mindless and soulless to a certain to to a certain extent and and they're consequently they gravitate to the democratic party they vote for the democratic party overwhelmingly they accept all these horrible woke ideas because they've been thoroughly corrupted and propagandized by a, a higher education system in, in this country, which has been completely controlled by the left for decades. And yet... And so if, if, if conservatives want to win again, mm-hmm. they will have to reclaim education. They'll have to reclaim culture because whoever owns culture owns politics. That's the bottom line is politics is, in, is totally dictated by who controls culture. And the left has controlled culture for 50 years or more in this country. And that's why they're politically, that's why Democrats are politically successful. And that's why Republicans struggle. You know, they struggle to win because they don't have a, they don't have a a firm grasp on the culture. And so, you know, politics is downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from religion, as people have pointed out. So if you lose religion, you lose culture, which is what the conservatives, which has happened with conservatives. They've, you know, religion has become, you know, uh, the the liberals have taken religion out of religion. Mm -hmm. And then they've completely corrupted the culture. And the American people, consequently, are willing to accept uh, completely insane woke ideas. And that's why Joe Biden, you know, even though he's, one of the worst presidents we've ever had could have had such a successful night um, on Tuesday, last Tuesday. 
Well, let's talk about the conservatives, though. The conservative movement seems to be going more woke all the time. Uh, what exactly are they conserving if they don't conserve traditional marriage between a man and a woman? Uh, there's talk of, of pro-life, and there's certainly an effort and a better effort uh, for pro-life, uh, the pro-life cause uh, in the conservatives. But they seem to be OK with selling uh, marriage down the river. What say you, George Newmar? Yeah, I mean, that that makes the defeat of the Republicans even more pathetic because they're, you know, the Republicans are trying to ape in one, in some ways. They're trying to ape the liberalism of the Democrats, and yet they still can't even win by doing that. You know, take um, uh, Oz in, in Pennsylvania. He issued a very gratuitous statement in favor of gay marriage during the campaign, and yet he, you know, that didn't help him at all. And in fact, it probably, you know, hurt, you know, probably depressed religious uh, GOP turnout a little bit, you know. And he ended up losing to one of the most pathetic candidates ever, John Fetterman. Mm. You know, Oz couldn't even beat a guy who um, didn't have the mental power to even form sentences. And so what does that tell you about this PC Republican Party? You know, even, you know, even when they're trying to imitate the Democrats in some ways, they still can't win. And, and just, um, you know, so really, uh, the problem here is very fundamental and it, and it really, it, it goes to whether you know, the GOP basically will have to look at this and say, you know, we, we have to uh, devote ourselves to cultural um, reconstruction, basically. I mean, that's the fundamental solution to political defeat is that you have to change the culture. You have to move the culture to the right. You have to move the culture in a conservative way, and only then can conservatives win politically. George, this is Rudy Carlos here, and I'm just wondering, you know, what um – there's a lot of talk of the of the GOP looking at itself in the mirror and saying, "Well, we got to change things. This is why we lost." You know, kind of the the kind of the, along the lines of the discussion that we're having right now. What do you think that the GOP should look like uh, in the future, in the near future? Well, I, I think you know ultimately, if, if we want to win on good ideas, I mean, the, the purpose of winning is not simply to win; it's to win on ideas and principles that will save the country. Mm -hmm. So the, the issue is not how do we win, it's how do we win on principle and on the principles that would actually save the country. Because if, if you don't accept that model of politics, then you're basically, you know, you're basically accepting a demagogic understanding of politics, which will just end up making the country even worse. And, and will, you know, so it, it'll just render winning meaningless. So you, if you want to win on principle, though, in America, you're going to have to engage in cultural reconstruction you're going to have to create you're going to have to push the culture towards conservatism only then will will voters be willing to accept conservative ideas and con conservative policies and and elect G the gop so I, I don't see the gop having any sweeping success until the left's grip on the culture weakens and so they have i think they have to devote themselves to to weakening the left's grip on the culture well, part of my issue is as a Catholic, I see the whole world through the lens of the Catholic faith and her teaching. And uh, and I just don't know that I trust these conservatives to have a proper view of yeah. culture. I think they would argue if they're sitting here going, but the culture is embracing new sexual norms and new fa familial norms, and these things are okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, murdering a child is bad, but love is love, right? I mean, George, they, these, they seem to have a twisted version of culture, don't yeah. they? Yeah, no, I... I... I agree that much of the GOP has completely sold out and has accepted all the bad ideas of the left. I mean, Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the Republican Party, she sends out tweets uh, celebrating Pride, Gay Pride Month. Yeah. Hold you know, that so, thought. So the very head of the George Newmeyer is our guest. Sorry to cut you off there, George. We're up at a network break here. We're going to be right back. 
with more from George Newmeyer and the American Spectator. America's Death Wish is his article, but he's got more. I want to talk about that coming up next. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no comment needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. George Newmeyer is our guest. The American Spectator, spectator spectator.org is the website. You can find all of his articles there. Um, Welcome back to the show, George. Thank you again for being on with us this morning. Very grateful to have you. One of the the takeaways, because you just ended, uh, right before we went to the break, you were talking about how the, the GOP seems to have sold out, and I totally agree. And ultimately, to what you were saying earlier, I think the only real solution to to the world is uh, a solution in which we obey the Lord's command and actually evangelize the whole world, try to convert every single soul because God asks us to. Um, But only the bishops can get that done, and it seems like they're Mm -hmm. on the bench. What say you, George Newmar? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, um, they've they've contributed to this problem by... um, uh, failing to uh, enforce canon law against Joe Biden, for one thing, you know, the, you know, Joe Biden is the most anti-Catholic president ever, and yet a majority of the bishops refuse uh, to take any action, canonical action against him, even though canon law makes it explicitly clear that they should do so, and that Joe Biden, at the very least, should be um, refused communion. Yeah, but how many how many bishops support that position? Cordelione, I guess, does, and maybe a few others do. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of the bishops uh, do not think that canon law should be applied to Joe Biden, and they won't even stand up and say that Biden's agenda is anti-Catholic and that Catholics should not vote for a party that is anti-Catholic, which the Democrats have definitely become an anti-Catholic party. There are only a handful of bishops who are willing to say that. So yes, that is. Uh, contributing to this problem here. We don't have, religion is failing to stop uh, our very destructive politics. And 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 a, one of the main reasons for that is that the, the bishops are very cowardly and they won't stand up to these anti-Catholic politicians. When I'm, when I'm out and about, I speak to our listeners 
I want to get a chance to meet with them. And a lot of times they'll have conversations about about the bishops, and uh, they'll ask, well, how many how many good bishops do you think we have? And I, I want to get your take on this, because my sense is there are good bishops out there, but I think ultimately we've created such a culture, a PC culture, a corporatized culture at the chancery, uh, it's not a father-son relationship between bishop and priest. It's in, it's in its boss and employee relationship these days that some of these men, they might have it within them to be great, but they lack that courage to take that step. What say you, George Newmar? Yeah, but I, I think the problem in some cases is even deeper than that. It's, it's not just that they lack the courage of their convictions. The problem is that they don't have any convictions. Mm. And that they've lost the faith, they've lost orthodoxy, and and consequently they they that's why they uh, are willing to accept uh, Joe Biden's anti-Catholic presidency is that they they kind of like the secularized Catholicism that Biden represents. He he's the very proto he, you know, he's the prototypical post-Vatican II Catholic who's mm. kind of walked away from his faith and and uh, embraced the world and accepted all these secularized policies. A lot of the bishops unfortunately think the exact same way they too want to build a society that is um you know where the church and you know, where god is sort of separated from public life and uh so that's i think that's probably the deepest reason why they are are silent in the face of all of biden's evil if you had to break if you had to spitball a percentage how many at least in the american church how many bishops do you think are are sitting on the fence and just needs need to find courage versus how many bishops oh. are strong versus how many bishops are embracing this woke ide- ideology? What would you if you had to spitball um, that percentage wise, what would you break that out as? I don't know. Well, I mean, the fact that all of the bishops, almost all of the bishops, with the exception of maybe Cardinal Burke and maybe maybe Strickland or somebody like that. None of them said in in, uh, in 2020 that a Catholic should not vote for a pro-abortion candidate. None of them said that. They all all of them said follow your conscience, follow your conscience. They never, none of them said do not vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Mm. So what does that tell you? It tells you that like 99% of the bishops are okay with Catholics voting for Joe Biden. Um, so to answer your question, I don't, I, you know, I would say the percentage of, of really honest, orthodox, courageous bishops is like very, very low. It's like 2%, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, re- the rest of them are willing to accept Joe, the, uh, the Biden presidency. And you can see that in the fact that they told Catholics that they could vote for Biden uh, in good conscience. And it leads to greater confusion and division within the body, uh, for sure. And, uh, the, one of the last segments I was, uh, reading, uh, the Swiss bishop in, uh, who is, you know, critiquing this synod of, on synodality, basically giving up on it, saying it's a boundless hypocrisy, confusion, and worse. And then, of course, you have Regis Martin's open letter to the bishops, basically saying the same thing. Listen, guys, you need to get back to your mission. You seem, seem to have abandoned your mission to convert the world. They're, they seem more afraid of the criticism of the world, and they want to befriend the world rather than save souls and how many souls end up in hell. And then there was your article that I read this morning that you put out yesterday, Did Pope Francis Protect His Graph-Ridden Cardinals? I mean, the Vatican Bank and the, the finances coming to the Vatican continue to be a source of grave scandal to Catholics around the world. What's going on there? Yeah, well, that case that I mentioned, this Vatican, our former Vatican auditor who was fired by uh, Pope Francis, this guy has come out and he said, 
I found all these cardinals to be taking money and putting it in their pockets and, you know, engaging in blatant graft. And I brought this to the attention of Pope Francis. And what happened to me? I get fired. So he gets fired for blowing the whistle on thieving prelates like uh, Cardinal Beshu and others. And uh, as a result of that, he's fired. And so that's why he's he's suing the Vatican for like $9 million, you know, because he's basically said the Vatican has destroyed his job prospects and his reputation uh, over uh, completely le- legitimate whistleblowing that he, uh, in which he engaged. And, and his whole, the whole point he was appointed, theoretically, ostensibly, was to blow the whistle on corruption at the Vatican. But the moment he does that, he gets sacked by the Pope, by Pope mm. Francis. So this shows us, that, unfortunately, that the, you know, the Pope is as dishonest as the colleagues for whom he's covering. But there's a track and record why, here. And that's why, and no, notice that he hasn't said anything. You know, our, our very garrulous, outspoken Pope, you know, he'll, he'll make comments about everything under the sun, but he won't talk about what this auditor is describing. You know, the Vatican has been completely silent in response to this lawsuit. Um, and uh, it, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. We were told at the beginning of this papacy that, you know, oh, Pope Francis is going to fumigate the foul odors of, you know, corrupt finance at the Vatican. That hasn't happened at all. He hasn't uh, changed the status quo at the Vatican. On the contrary, he solidified it. Mm. And this Beshu trial that they're doing is just a half-hearted PR-driven trial. It's not. It's not serious. It's not serious. Uh, if, if the Pope was serious about smoking out Beshu and his all of his corruption, he wouldn't have fired this auditor. He would have protected him, mm. and he would have kept him in his position. But he fought. But he had him fired. George, uh, you know, whenever we talk about these kind of things. In regards to uh, what's happening in the Vatican and firing different people in and different places, you know, a lot of this ends up coming down to a lot of political maneuvering, and people are scared and oh, this person knows too much, or this person has blackmail on this person, and so we never really see things um, carried out the way we as lay people we look at it. And we're like, well, it's simple. You do X, Y should happen, but these things don't happen. What do you think about how uh, the the hierarchy should take care of these issues? Well, they <laughs> they should be honest, which you know they're not. They're they're not honest, and they're uh, playing games all the time, and they're pretending. You know, uh, Pope Francis likes to talk a talk a good game about reform, but he he never likes to play one. You know, and and uh, also another point to be made here is just the utter hypocrisy of a pope who invades against the greed of capitalists while protecting the greed of his own cardinals. You know, these cardinals are engaging in graft, and he's protecting them. So if he's really serious about, you know, ending a world of greed, why doesn't he start at home with his own cardinals, his own greedy cardinals? Why doesn't he stop them? Mm. You know, Jesus Christ said to the charlatans of his day, Physician, heal thyself. Um, and unfortunately, that injunction, we have to admit, applies to his own vicar right now. Uh, you know, Pope Francis, heal thyself. I mean, don't go around the world condemning capitalism and condemning greed if you're not going to stop greed at the Vatican. You know, and there's a track record here. Uh, Archbishop Vigano uh, un- uncovered uh, scandal in the Vatican Bank. He got uh, he got promoted, so to speak, to, to the uh, Nunciature in America. Cardinal Pell, also, same thing, got sent uh, to solitary confinement in Australia. So there seems to be a track record here of people who are trying to fix uh, the financial situation, and it doesn't usually end up well for them, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, if you blow the whistle on corruption in the church, the church's response will be to marginalize you, destroy you, assassinate your character, make you look bad, you know, tell everybody that you're a bad Catholic or something. Or as in the case of this Vatican auditor, they said, oh, he's, you know, he uh, he behaved very improperly. He was spying on us. Well, his job was to investigate corruption and to identify financial improprieties and and blow the whistle on them that theoretically was his job and he did and once he did that what happened to him he wasn't promoted he wasn't retained he was fired mm. uh so yeah i mean the, the 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 church is on completely like the vatican is completely on the side of the bad guys and is and is uh willing to just take out all the good guys and it is confusing trial what you know the best trial was just a consequence of all the bad mm-hmm publicity that that he was getting but I, is it is it a sincere trial i don't think so well it is uh, incredibly confusing to the life faithful who want i mean who do, who wants to wake up and uh, and be critical of the pope or the hierarchy at all i mean no one does but the reality is that's the world we're living in and uh, we have to be prudent and uh, and wise in these times in spite of all the scandal and the division we see here so uh, I, I don't know I, I wish we had better answers other than we have to live in a state of grace, and we still have to convert sinners because sinners go to hell, and we don't want that. We want them to go to heaven forever. And yet, I believe, until the bishops find that courage, find that gear within them to be faithful to Christ and to his teaching and to his mission, the world will not only continue to suffer, but I argue the world's going to get worse because it's cold. It is a very cold world mm-hmm. in, its, in this woke reality. Uh, George, last, yeah. last word. Yeah, I mean, the, the church is supposed to change the world, not be changed by the world. And yet what we've seen for decades is a church that has been completely changed by the world and that has been corrupted by the world and that reflects all the bad things in the world. In fact, in some ways, the church is lower than the world. You know, like the, the uh, you know, we see all these cardinals uh, like a bellow. Bishop Bellow was raping teenage boys for decades. Has yeah, he been defrocked? No. No, he hasn't been defrocked. And yeah. this French cardinal, you know? Yeah. French cardinal. Exactly. Has, uh, has he been defrocked? No. Nope. Oh, so we're out of time, George. Okay. Out of time. I'm sorry, but uh, God love you, George. We are grateful that you joined us today. Check him out at spectator.org. Look for George Newmeyer's articles there. George, God bless you. God love you. Have a great day, sir. That's going to do it for hour number one. Join us in the second hour. Tito Edwards from BigPulpit.com is going to be on. Hey, there's live coverage of the Men's March coming up as well. God love you. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world constantly. Every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the the visuals that you see, TV, everything, we need Catholicism filling our minds. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, 
and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. Hey, Donnie, what two important things do we receive when we go to Mass? Scripture and the Eucharist. Great job. You're so smart. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not... This is Jose. And this is Rosa. And we're from St. Elizabeth and Seton. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. Part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio, Radio for, for your soul. Praise Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be back on with you. How was your weekend? Hopefully it was good. Mine was great. Got to visit the studio in San Antonio, hang out with some veterans in Castroville, put meat in the freezer, hang out with Raymond Rorio and Jeanette Williams and Jack Williams and the Fullness Truth crew. I mean, it was great. I had a great weekend. It was busy. Praise be to God. Uh, but what a great time. And I got to tell you, now that I've seen how the uh, how the other side lives in, in the GRN world, <laughs> oh my, when I walked through the door at the studio, the lady at the front desk was like, and a sweet lady, wonderful, wonderful woman. She's like, um, yeah, I'm going to need to see your credit report, sir. Uh, and a list of all your assets, because I don't know that you can. <laughs> I don't know that your kind can come in here. Okay. Huh. It's a. It's fancy. Look. Do you need one of them uh, metal mm. credit cards to get in there? Oh, this is the rich folk credit. <laughs> the card. heavy ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean that 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 studio is nice. Huh. Really nice. It seemed a lot more lively over there. Yeah. Whew. We should just move to San Antonio. I think the, is what e- you're saying. Even the chairs for the conference table. I would move to San Antonio. Like first class seats just for the conference table. We could be so close mm-hmm. to Fredericksburg. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. All the peaches there. Would be nice. I got to tell you though, uh, my wife and I uh, have been praying lately to Our Lady of Sorrows to uh, mm. to reveal the, our sins, our weaknesses to us, and the sins and weaknesses of our children to us, that we may help them grow in perfection. Amen. So we pray together, and we pray that prayer. But so far, it seems Our Lady has ignored everything but the our weakness part. Joe, you could just ask me. <laughs> okay. I tell you. So uh, clearly, there is a uh, she is shouting at me right now, Our Lady. I'm glad you mentioned that because mm-hmm. I I've had it on my heart to tell you how bad you are. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, patience is apparently one of my weaknesses. Ooh, yeah, uh, mine too. What? Because, mine too. Uh, no way. I was given the unique opportunity 
to wait in 15 miles worth of uh, go-nowhere traffic on the way home Saturday evening. What? And I sat there for like, I don't know, an hour and a half maybe. Hour. Oh, man. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is avoidable. Like, how did I allow myself <laughs> to end up in a traffic jam? <laughs> and why on earth is my Apple navigation not saying, hey, would you rather go another way to avoid all of this? Even if it's a little f- f- further miles, right would you rather stop somewhere and just chill for the next four hours and then get I back mean, on the road later? Like, it's 2022. Why is the technology still sending me into a traffic jam? There's your problem right there. Should have used Waze, man. Yep. Should have used Waze. Amateur, I love amateur Waze. hour. Mm-hmm. Amateur hour. So, uh, so really, it's your fault. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I and mean, then uh, you know, I just, at some point you have to just offer it up. You just got offered up. That ha- that's what happened to me yeah. on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I went. I got up on the morning. I was going to go to morning mass, and I uh, I head out the door. I'm driving to to church, and sure enough. They're doing construction on the entire uh, yeah. freeway. Yeah, that's good. And so <laughs> that's good I had time. to. I was like, well, I have no idea how long it's going to take. So I make a right. I drive all the way yeah. down. I yeah. had to make a giant U turn back yeah. around. I was like, by the Bucky's. Man. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, it's over, man. It's over. I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Oh, so uh, one thing after another, there's just uh, been opportunities. The la- Our Lady has been sending me to, uh, to have to be patient, even Joe. though I feel like that. I don't want to be patient. <laughs> Glass half full, brother. You got three doughs. You got them in the in the freezer. I did. Praise be to Dude, God. It's worth it. It is. Yeah. We're excited. I can't wait to uh, make deer burgers at our place. <laughs> so yummy. Dude, I can't wait to come over. Mm-hmm. I'll send the invite uh, by mail. Uh, oh, just man. Keep checking your box. Your that's mailbox. so nice of you. And speaking yeah. of which, I got this weird craving for a bison burger. I might get one of oh, one that's those soon. Oh, bison mm. burger and elk. Oh, what if, so okay, good. Is it, would this be weird? What if you got like, you got like, beef, you got bison, you got deer, mm-hmm. and you like mix together and make a burger out of it? Oh, like like an Italian meatball. You Yum. Know? Like that. Like you put it together, mm-hmm. you mix them, you cook them like mm-hmm. that, and then you eat it as a burger. Huh. That uh, To me, that sounds delicious, it but does. I don't know. Does that, <laughs> does that sound gross? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it does. I would it eat does. that. I'd be like, man, this stuff yeah. is good. And anyway, pray for uh, pray for me to be more patient in life. I'm, I'm going to work on that. But uh, joining us right now, speaking of patience, very patient to hang out and wait uh, for me to introduce him is uh, Tito Edwards from BigPulpit.com. Good morning to you, Tito. Good morning, Joe, Rudy, and Adrian. How are y'all doing? Praise be to God. We are alive, and that counts. How are you? I'm doing terrific. I, I was just listening to you dandy boys talking about bison and squirrel burgers. <laughs> I, I just don't understand that. I, I have a friend mm. who loved, there used to be this place off of Washington that served that kind of stuff. Really? I'm jealous. Mm. Yeah. That'd be yeah. great. All we got to really do is just go to Louisiana, and then you can have whatever you want from any restaurant whatsoever. They sell it all. That's why they have no roadkill on the highways. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, Tito, real quick before we jump into the article today, what is your greatest weakness? What is your uh, what is the number one thing you you have to work on? Mine's patience. Uh, trying to diminish myself, my light, so so Adrian, you, and Rudy can shine ever more brighter. <laughs> oh wow! What that a saint! Is, that is a PC answer if I've ever heard. You know, one. my friend, I always tell people if I was only humble, I'd be perfect. I'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of humility, uh, you have uh, an article linked up at BigPulpit.com: Unintended Consequences 
of Vatican II by Cardinal Pell. We were talking about uh, George Cardinal Pell just a tad bit in the last segment with George Neumeyer from the American Spectator. Uh, what is uh, Cardinal Pell writing about in his First Things article? He's writing about a, a book he read by George Weigel regarding uh, Vatican II and, the, uh, and what happened afterwards. And uh, he gives high marks to a very well-written book uh, on his insight of what's going on. He is, uh, George Weigel has a much more positive view of the future for the Catholic Church because of Vatican II, uh, in contrast to many uh, Catholic analysts who have a not as bright of uh, a concern or regards for what has happened after the implementation of the 12 documents that came out of Vatican II. What I find interesting about this uh, article and his conversation is he's not the, he's not an anti-Vatican II guy. I mean, he obviously no. even says in this article that he spent his his life as uh, as a bishop and as a cardinal, you know, teaching uh, Vatican II and, and propagating it. So he's not the guy you're going to go to to try to cast aspersions upon. And yet, I think he realizes there's something. There's a problem here. There's this spirit thing that's causing lots of trouble in the church. Isn't that right? Yes, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people who a lot of the bishops who implemented it uh, did not have, as Cardinal Pell was saying, uh, there was not an authoritative key inside the documents themselves to help interpret that. So, mm-hmm. uh, even though many of us can see what it's what how we're supposed to implement it, they they got carried away and uh, went off uh, went off. And took off the rails, literally, off of many good churches. And so, uh, especially here in the West, uh, Western Europe, America, Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, it, it's just been uh, a, a, a dip in, uh, in new converts, in the growth of the church, in the, in the <clears throat> lack of vocations, and many orders are either dying or, or are dormant if, if you can be, stay positive about it. So yes, it, it, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting read of, of where George Weigel is coming in. And maybe some of us who have too much of a dark view mm-hmm. may want to read that. Uh, may others of us probably should just hit the ground, uh, roll up our sleeves, and start working on on implementing what the documents actually said. Yeah, Cardinal Pell, Cardinal Pell says, uh, quote, Weigel is particularly insightful in Gautam et Spes, the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world, which reflected the optimism of an increasingly prosperous post-war Western Europe shaped by Catholics, statesmen such as uh, D. Gasperi, uh, Schumann, and later the great General de Gaulle. The constitution lacks bite and drama, underplaying the continuing hold of original sin, which makes discerning the signs of the time so difficult. Weigel describes the document as essentially a snapshot of its time, which unsurprisingly failed to identify many of the developments and surprises of the next 60 years. Close quote. Now, I find that interesting because I was listening to somebody else recently talk. I think it was uh, Eric Sammons. It was Eric Sammons talking about this on the anniversary of Vatican II. And uh, he kind of took the same point. It's like, Vatican II was a snapshot in time, and yet we are trying to apply that snapshot to all time. 
and therein lies the problem. And I think if you look at the if you look at the results, and I've done this several times just on this show alone, let alone other places. If you go to Kara's uh, statistics of the church hosted by Georgetown University's website, you can Google it. You'll find it. Look for it yourself. You can see the results of the last fifty plus years, and they aren't good ones. Every number is not a great number, except for one. There's only one number that you could say is positive, and that is there are plenty of permanent deacons now. There's a lot of permanent deacons, and that number grows. It's the only positive number. Priests, parishes, religious life, all down, down, down. Baptisms, confirmations, weddings, sacramentally, all down, down, down. Everything is a negative number, uh, except for those permanent diaconate. Um, so if those were the numbers and you were the CEO of the company, how long would you be the boss? You'd be fired because those numbers are bad. And yet uh, it seems like we're so hesitant to go, golly gee whiz, something ain't working out right here. What say you, Tito Edwards? Uh, I agree. Uh, to try to, to play the, a devil's advocate a little bit, you, you could say, well, let, let Let's uh, straighten out the ship. Let's see. Let's do. Let's implement everything correctly, and, and let's see what we can get done. So, f- from that point of view, you could go on and and start working towards getting uh, Vatican II right. And then we had the synodal process where you would expect something like that to to bubble up to start uh, doubling down and and getting uh, getting done the work of what the documents of Vatican II were meant to do. And instead we're going off, would continue. We're off the cliff and, and we're, 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 we're collecting rocks trying to fall quicker and faster into the abyss. Mm-hmm. The synodal, synodal process was an opportunity. The synod on the synodality was an opportunity to get things right, to steer the ship to, in the correct way. And instead it, it seems as if, uh, we're, we're, we're whistling past the wind. It's just, uh, uh, to use a safe analogy, nothing, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing seems to have, have crept into anyone's mind who, who are running the Synod to get uh, Vatican II right. Yeah. And so, yes, I agree with you that uh, we're, we're, I don't see a, a positive future. Uh, we'll have pockets here and there, or if you're fortunate enough to find work in Lincoln, Nebraska, you can go to the <laughs> only diocese that got it right. Um, uh, so there. Well, it's uh, interesting, Tito, because uh, Pope Francis seems to to say that the what we're doing and what we've been doing is the proper interpretation and is a proper implementation of the Second Vatican Council. And so now it becomes uh, a whole debate right now. Uh, There was a book that was published, Benedict's Peace and Francis's War. And the interesting thing is, uh, between Francis and Benedict, Benedict seemed to push for this hermeneutic continuity. But it seems like Francis is going back on that. What do you think about that, Tito Edwards? Yes, it it looks like he's going for the hermeneutic of of discontinuity. It, It... it doesn't look good. I, I I don't see anything coming out of the Vatican that would point towards what George Weigel, Weigel envisions to what many of us know, what Gaudium et Spes and, and, the, and the rest of the documents that have come out of Vatican II to be implemented correctly. And it's, it's a continuation of the false springtime. It's a false dawn. 
there there is mm. it, it, sorry I, I got nothing positive to say I can't <laughs> well, see Tito, anything else thanks, without Tito, my soul Edwards thanks for having nothing positive to say but nonetheless you do have a ton of articles linked up at bigpulpit.com not just this one but a bunch of others and some of them are thing, good things to say so you should check them out bigpulpit.com Tito God bless you we'll see you next time All right, coming up after the break, time to play our game show, Fear and Trembling, and you can win prizes. Call right now, though, 877-757-9424. You can win 877-757-9424. The Bible says to call no man father. So why do we call our priests father? In Matthew 23, verse 9, it says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Notice that this verse makes no distinction between spiritual fathers, which is what priests are, and biological fathers. This passage says that no man is to be called father. Therefore, you cannot distinguish between calling a priest father and calling the man who is married to your mother father. But is that actually what this passage is saying? Or is Jesus warning us against trying to usurp the fatherhood of God, which is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing? They wanted all attention focused on them. They were leaving God, the Father, out of the equation. And even if you just interpret this passage from Matthew 23 as an absolute ban against calling anyone your spiritual father, then there are some problems for you in the rest of Scripture. For example, Jesus in the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16 has the rich man referring to Abraham as father several times. Paul in Romans 4 refers to Abraham as the father of the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Spiritual fatherhood, not biological fatherhood. In Acts 7 and then in Acts 22, first Stephen and then Paul referred to the Jewish priests and elders as brothers and fathers. Spiritual fatherhood. So if you interpret Matthew 23 as saying we cannot call anyone our spiritual father, then you have to believe that Jesus, Paul, and Stephen all got it wrong. It is okay to call priests our spiritual fathers today. We are simply imitating the example given us by Jesus, Paul, and Stephen, all of whom who used the term in a spiritual sense. As long as we remember that our true father is God the Father and that all aspects of our fatherhood, biological and spiritual, are derived from him. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, a Catholic trivia game show that has secrets and agendas. But you can't tell anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't tell anybody what I'm about to share with you. Is that a deal? All right. Number one, we like to teach the faith. So we sneakily get it in there where you learn something about the Catholic faith that you did not know before. Praise be to God. And then we like to have a laugh. And we get the best callers ever. They laugh with us, and we enjoy that. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which means this is a winner for everybody involved because you could either learn, laugh, or win, and everybody gets something out of the deal. Praise be to Jesus. But the kicker, the secret sauce, is that we don't ask the caller the questions. 
So they don't need to know. They may not know a single correct answer, but could still win because instead of asking them, I'm going to ask Rudy and I'm going to ask Adrian, one of which will give us a correct answer. The other will give us an incorrect answer. The caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? Knowing that they could trust me, nonetheless, every correct answer, go. Wait, don't laugh, goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. That was serious, man. What are you laughing for? That was from the heart. Is that what? <laughs> Is that what? <laughs> what could they win, Rudy? Praise be to God. This week we are giving away another and the last every mm. sacred Sunday mass journal we have. Now, mm. imagine yourself toting this beautiful journal to Ooh. mass and following along with the readings, jotting down all those wonderful inspirations you yeah. may receive. You're going to be growing in your interior life, oh. as uh, St. Teresa of Avila uh, wrote about. Yeah. Now, this week's prize was generously sponsored by mm-hmm. Gloria Lopez, and I want to say thank you very much, Gloria Lopez, Thanks for providing God. this gift for us to give yeah. away today. Amen. Well, on Friday. Love it. Awesome. Thank you, Gloria. You're amazing. Praise be to Jesus. Let's go to the phones. Good morning to you, Stephen. Hello. Stephen. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you calling from? San Angelo. San and West Texas is on the West board. Uh, now, the last time I was in San Angelo, all I saw was uh, tumbleweed rolling all over the place. Like real huge, massive things of tumbleweed. Do you See, guys still have that out there? Um, I've never seen a tumbleweed, actually. What? Uh, what? That's Come what I thought Texas on. was going to be like. I was disappointed. You I would see the, the, the tumbleweed invasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where all the tumbleweeds came through and they like <laughs> almost destroyed a whole city. You've never? Wow. How long have you been in West Texas, Stephen? Your whole life? In my defense, I'm not from West Texas. Oh, I'm from uh, you're from where? Illinois. Oh, oh nice. that, that explains The truth it. comes out. See, when they knew you were coming, they're like, put the tumbleweed away. This guy's going to get the wrong idea. <laughs> and uh, so they, right, right. They, they cleaned it up for you, Stephen. Now, where do you go to church, Stephen? St. Mary's. St. Mary's. All right. Now, are you familiar with the game? Do you know how the rules work, sir? I am. I listen all the time. Oh, well, thank you for doing that. We appreciate it. You should know, then, uh, Rudy is still not wearing a tie. He's, he's like, abandoned the tie game. Uh, Come on, so, man. <laughs> I don't know what's gotten into him. I'm not sure what to think anymore, but uh, you should take that into consideration when you listen to him. Uh, but, uh, Stephen, it is you and me against them. Are you ready, sir? I am. All right, let's do it. Good morning to Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. Although you still do wear a jacket. I do. Uh, which is quite nice. Camel hair. Yeah. Is it? Very warm. It's what hair? Camel hair. Camel hair. Yep, camel hair. How many camel hairs were needed for the making know. of the jacket? I don't know. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Like, a camel's a large animal. Yeah. Maybe a half a camel? And do they kill the camel to get the fur? I don't know. Or just shave it? Like they shave sheep. it, right? Yeah, like sheep. That's what I would think. I don't know. Anyway, are you ready, sir? I am ready. Are you sure? Yeah. Praise be to God. Are you really sure? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, can you tell me then, who is the patron saint of nurses? The patron saint of nurses. That would be Saint Ratchet. Saint who? Ratchet. Saint Ratchet? Ratchet. Yeah. Ratchet. Yeah. Ratchet. Who, named, who names their kid Ratchet? That's not id. That's a last name. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. And uh, do you uh, have to know the nationality of Ratched? No, I don't. Okay. Interesting. We'll have to Google this. Yeah, she used to work in an insane asylum. What? Mm-hmm. 
mind-blowing. Yeah. All right. Patience uh, of a saint. Let's just see what uh, Brother Adrian has to say. Now, Adrian, I know because of your Twitter feed, you have advanced <laughs> degrees in patronology. Mm. Uh, could mm. you help me here? Who is the patron saint of nurses? Yes, well, a patron saint of nurses is actually Saint Agatha. What? Yep. Saint, saint Agatha. Agatha. Mm-hmm. Saint Agatha. Not not Saint Ratchet? Uh, I think St. Ratchet is a page or something else. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right, uh, Stephen in Abilene, who's never seen a tumbleweed in his entire life. I mean, can one say they have lived if they've not seen tumbleweed? I'm not sure. But nonetheless, who is the patron saint of nurses? Adrian says St. Agatha, whereas Rudy says St. Ratchet. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Stephen, what say you? I'm sorry. One more time. Adrian. Oh, Adrian. Wow. So wild. Wow. Did y'all hear that, guys? Uh, Steven right there. He's Steven. obviously a genius. Steven. He's already ten times smarter, wiser, uh, more attractive, younger. Uh, All these things happen when you go with Adrian Steven. Steven. It's scientifically proven. One should not just say Adrian. They must say Unfortunately, Adrian, or like something hate, along those lines. I hate to oh, say this, but... Oh, am I saying this out loud? <laughs> really? So, oh, but you are correct, and so is Adrian, actually. Uh, so St. Agatha is the correct answer, the patron saint, as well as, I guess, St. Raphael. So it's a, mm, it's it's a twofer. twofer. So there's many. Yeah, so uh, well done, St. Agatha, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. Definitely not St. Ratchet. Where is Ratchet from again, Nurse Ratchet? Okay, so that's from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's right. Yep. Uh, okay. And now she was a bad nurse. She was a bad mamma jamma. All right, let's go to the second. <laughs> let's go to the second question. Ah, uh, we're gonna go to Adrian first. Adrian, can you tell me a superior appointed to have authority within the limit of a certain province is called what? Yes, that is called a superior general. A superior general. Yes, sir. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. I got to meet one once. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, was he superior? Let's see what... He was uh, a general. Let's see what Rudy says. Rudy, can you tell me a superior appointed to have authority within the limit of a certain province is called what? That would be a provincial. Huh. Provincial, you say? Yes. Rather. Mm. I do declare. All right, Stephen, you got options. Rudy, who says it's a provincial. Adrian, who says it's a superior general. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Stephen, what say you? I'm going to go with Rudy this time. Wow. Are you sure? Wow. Survey says... Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, superior general is over an entire community, mm-hmm. whereas a provincial is over only a province. Well done, Stephen. You didn't fall for that one. Congratulations. You are correct, sir. Uh, you're in for two. You could win. It's completely possible. But let's see if we can't get you in there with what is arguably the hardest question since... Uh, Adam and Eve had that conversation about, hey, you going to oh. eat this? Well, that's awkward. Like, it's Don't worry, hard. man. This is the easiest so. question we've ever had. It's um, easily, uh-huh. easily the hardest question. <laughs> that makes it easy, <laughs> Is right? it easy or hard? I, anyway, it's, let's easily just ask. We're going to go back to Rudy. Rudy? Are you ready, sir? I am ready. Okay. This is tough. Yeah. I'm sweating right now just thinking about it. But can you name not one, but two reasons 
why a person may not be buried uh, in a Catholic cemetery. Oh, man, this happened to my cousin. Really? Yeah, real bummer. Look, he forgot to renew his Catholic license. You Are know, you being serious? You now you say Who you're a card card carrying member. You know, uh-huh. you just, forgot. You, you just tell forgot. Siri to remind you when it comes up. I have it in my schedule. Hard. I have it in my calendar. Yeah, and I told him put it in the I put it in the calendar. I said mm-hmm. yeah, he died before he did. You know, yeah, yeah. like a thief in the night just came. Right. And, I, and then the other reason is uh-huh. uh, you're a public blasphemer. I see. Like I our see. Uh, our friends, the Black Hebrew Israelites. I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Uh, Adrian, let's see what you have to say here. But can you uh, name for me not one, but two reasons why a person may not be buried in a Catholic cemetery? You don't want five. Uh, I'll just take two. Uh, not four? Um, two is fine. Not three. Uh, two is better than oh, one. Okay, got it, got it. All right, one, if you are excommunicated, you cannot be buried in a Catholic cemetery. And two... If you're killed in a duel, you cannot what? be buried in a Catholic what? cemetery. Yep. Are, you, are you being serious? I'm being serious. I, I can't be killed in a duel. It, well, you can. But if you are, you can't be buried in a Catholic cemetery. That's not fun. Yeah. It seems harsh. Yeah. But it's possible. You can, in fact, be killed in a duel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Stephen, you got options here. Uh, two reasons why a person may not be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Adrian says, well, out of, there's like five, but out of uh, the five, one is if you're excommunicated or if you've been killed in a duel, you may not be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Whereas Rudy says, you forgot to renew your Catholic license. Shame on you. And then, of course, uh, you're a public blasphemer. So there's that. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Steven, what say you, good sir? Adrian. Again with the whole... <laughs> Look at that. Steven. Wise, brilliant, attractive. All the ladies are just spawning uh, over him. Wow. Astute. Amazing. Astute. Mm-hmm. By the way, Stephen, if you win this, this is for women. Uh, you could uh, give it to a prospective... Uh, are you married, Stephen? Maybe he's married. I am married. Oh, well, get I, you he, he, he has to, you guys, I already know. Get the guy in he's, trouble. He's like spouse. fighting off women constantly. My wife I already know. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> now he's sleeping on the couch well, thanks to you two. Now you got to win it. You got to win it for your wife. God love you, Stephen. Thanks for being a good time today. We appreciate you. you. Have a safe drive, and hopefully you'll see some tumbleweed soon. Uh, that's what West Texas is good at. God bless you. God love you. We're going to put you on hold, but that's going to do it for the radio side. We appreciate the laughs. Hang out with us in the after show, and we'll talk to you directly on one of the live video feeds. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is Monday in the 33rd week of Ordinary Time. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio.
Ye watchers and ye holy ones, bright seraphs, cherubim, and thrones, raise the glad strain, hallelujah. Cry out, dominions, princedoms, powers, virtues, archangels, angels, choirs, alleluia. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Let us pray. Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you, for it is full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Reading from the beginning of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to show his servants what must happen soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who gives witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ by reporting what he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, and blessed are those who listen to this prophetic message and heed what is written in it for the appointed time is near. John to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. I heard the Lord saying to me, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write this, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands says this, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate the wicked. You have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not, and discovered that they are impostors. Moreover, you have endurance, and have suffered for my name, and, have, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have lost the love you had at first. Realize how far you have fallen. Repent, and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you, 
and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. Blessed the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked, nor walks in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of the insolent, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. He is like a tree planted near running water that yields its fruit in due season and whose leaves never fade. Whatever he does prospers. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. Not so the wicked, not so. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. For the Lord watches over the way of the just, but the way of the wicked vanishes. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. The people walking in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Then Jesus stopped and ordered that he be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Lord, please let me see. Jesus told him, Have sight, your faith has saved you. He immediately received his sight and followed him, giving glory to God. When they saw this, all the people gave praise to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As we approach the end of this liturgical year, this liturgical season, the first reading is is taken from the book of Revelation. For many people, this is a bit of a, a strange book. I remember when I was on an airplane one time, there was uh, a woman sitting next to me with her husband, and she was reading the book of Revelation. And, and I could have asked, you know, says, well, what do you, what do you know about this book? And she says, well, uh, many people over the centuries have not understood it at all, which I guess that means that she was on the verge of understanding it. Um, but one of the interesting things about the book of Revelation, it is one of the last books that was considered to be part of the canon of Scripture, And it came, and one particular, one main reason why it was included in that canon was because it was proclaimed in the liturgy. This is actually what what it says here. Blessed the one who reads aloud, proclaims. 
And blessed is the one who listens to this prophetic message and heeds what is written, for the appointed time is near. It was proclaimed in the liturgical assembly, and so thus it had a really deep importance to the church, that this was something that should be part of that canon, part of the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is how the book begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that is important. Now, one of the things about the book of Revelation, sometimes it's hard to understand because it uses so much symbolic language. It is referring to things that have happened in the past, or about to happen in the past, in the time of St. John. It also foresees things that will happen in the future. But all of that is really, more importantly, is that we come to really encounter the one for whom it is the revelation about. We come to encounter Jesus in the present. And specifically, we encounter Jesus in the present in a primary, primary way through the sacraments, through the Eucharist. And this is what really John is, is, is wanting to tell us, what, wanting us to see. He also says that he hears the, the, the angel who comes to tell him about the, the churches in different parts of Asia in that time. And he begins by saying, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands says this. That is the Lord, the Lord who, is, who holds in his hands all of us, his church, the, all of the churches throughout the world, and walks among them as he walks among these, among these gold lampstands. That is the Lord Jesus. It's interesting in the gospel today, Jesus is walking through Jericho, and it says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He still walks among us, although we don't see him with our, with our physical eyes. We can perceive him in faith. The Lord walks among us. He walks among his church, within his church, and he holds the, the, the churches in, in the palms of his hands, like those stars. And so the Lord is always with us. So this is the book that's not just about something way in the future, some distant thing that might come that we have to kind of figure out with some kind of, kind of Gnostic knowledge. No, it is, sim it is symbolism, symbolic language, which reminds us, shows us that Jesus is ever-present, and we can come to encounter him, again, through the liturgy. What does St. John write to the Church of Ephesus? That they have been strong, they have persevered, and yet there's one thing that he holds against them, they have lost that first love, that first love. Can it be that? That doesn't happen even in marriage relationships that that love uh, can sometimes grow cold, or there's that sense of indifference towards the one whom we were so excited about some years ago. The same thing can really even happen in our spiritual life, where we seem to sort of lose that, that love within us. Not just the feeling, much more than that, but that true charity, that, that growth in our love for God and for our neighbor, which should be, become ever more fervent each time that we come to receive communion. Sometimes it just goes a little bit cold, I said a little bit indifferent. We need to fire that up again with the, with, through a deeper faith, hope, and charity. We need to repent in that way. And one, that's the, one of the purposes of that Eucharistic revival that the church has begun is to do that very thing, is that we have this deeper love for the Eucharist. Sometimes we grow a little bit indifferent. Sometimes we think it's a right that we, or that was something that we deserve, or that we should have, but rather that we repent to come back to that first love, that first Eucharistic amazement that we had when we received him in Holy Communion for the first time, but also then that should grow and continue to grow our love and devotion. Our Holy Father, in a recent letter, uh, Desiderio Desideravi, 
actually is calling us as the church to come to a deeper appreciation of that symbolic language and symbolism in the Eucharistic liturgy, or in the liturgy in general, and to have a deeper love and appreciation that really when we come to the Eucharist, we recognize what, we, what it is that we are encountering. We're encountering the Lord who has come to give his life, that is, who has given his life for our salvation. And he comes to encounter us and to give himself as food for this journey, to strengthen us so that our lives could be more conformed to his life, to receive that divine life more profoundly. And it is through all of these, all these symbols and different ways that the Lord, through signs visible to the senses, that he comes to encounter us. It's not just some kind of spiritual thing that we think about or some kind of ethereal sort of reality, but through these things, he actually comes and touches us and heals us and strengthens us and gives us a deeper faith that we may see him. What is it that the blind man wants to see? Well, he wants to see Jesus, but he first recognizes him that he is not just Jesus of Nazareth, but he is the son of David, the son of David. And it is through that he has already begun to be healed in his, this, in his faith sight. And Jesus simply has to complete, complete that by receiving his physical sight. And what is the first thing that this man who has been blind sees? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And immediately he follows him and gives glory to God. As we go through the book of Revelation, uh, through this, these last couple of weeks of ordinary time, let us be reminded that we come to the Lord Jesus in a primary way through the Eucharistic liturgy, that he comes to reveal himself, to share his divine life, and he wants us again to fall in love with him. May we respond generously to that Lord's call. bring our petitions before our Heavenly Father. Let us pray for the Holy Church of God, whom Jesus walks among, among us, as amongst the lampstands, that we may be ever more faithful to the Lord Jesus, we pray to the Lord. Lord, would you our prayer? Let us pray for strength and perseverance, especially in times of persecution. May the Lord strengthen us by his grace, we pray to the Lord. Let's pray for those who govern us, that they would always listen diligently to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit in all their decisions. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. For those who are sick and who are suffering, who are in need of uh, God's saving touch and his healing power, for those who struggle in their faith, either like the bl blind man, call out to the Lord Jesus, asking to receive their spiritual sight or return their spiritual sight, we pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who have died, for all the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace. We pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, for their intentions, for all those who have asked us to pray for them, for all those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers we bring before you this day and answer them according to your holy will through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth, the work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice in your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Grant, O Lord, we pray, that what we offer in the sight of your majesty may obtain for us the grace of being devoted to you and gain us the prize of everlasting happiness through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. In Him you have been pleased to renew all things, giving us all a share in His fullness. For though He was in the form of God, He emptied Himself, and by the blood of His cross brought peace to all creation. Therefore He has been exalted above all things, and to all who obey him has become the source of eternal salvation. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni suncheli et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you.
In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. And soft reach of the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God.
Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Amen, I say to you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive, and it shall be given to you, says the Lord. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all, how can I love thee as I ought? And how revere this wondrous gift, so far surpassing hope or thought. Sweet sacrament we thee adore, oh make us love thee more and more. Oh, make us love Thee more and more. Had I but Mary's sinless heart, With which to love Thee, dearest King, Oh, with what bursts of fervent praise, by goodness, Jesus, would I sing. Sweet sacrament we thee adore, Oh, make us love thee more and more, Oh, make us love thee more and more. Let us pray. We have partaken of the gift of this sacred mystery, humbly imploring, O Lord, that what your Son commanded us to do in memory of him may bring us, may bring us growth in charity through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, 
cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi there, Chris Thornhill here from St. Rose of Lima, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. 